0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists. I'm your host, Raina Andrews, and for those of you tuning in for the first time, let me just introduce myself. I'm a mother, a children's book author, a public health ambassador, a TEDx speaker, and an engaged community member. I'm your host for the 2023 Coffee with Conversations with Scientists series. You know, Coffee Conversations is brought to you by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment, a statewide nonprofit working to improve health and advocacy um, and advocate for health and equity across Wisconsin. Since early in 2021, we have been sharing the science behind today's most important health topics. And today is no different. as a matter of fact, today is very personal. As we're talking about a very complex topic, that doesn't have a lot of information around it and so i, I I'm, I'm assuming that it'll be very popular today we're joined by a specialist a expert dr kathleen koth who is a ch- child adolescent psychiatrist associate professor in the department of psychiatry and behavioral medicine at the medical college of wisconsin now because Autism spectrum disorder is such a big topic. I really want to frame this conversation to let our viewers know that we're focusing on really what is autism spectrum disorder. How are people diagnosed and we want, even in that vein, that's a big enough meaty chunk for us to really unpack what this spectrum is and how people can be diagnosed with it. Where does it come from? And we're going to try and bring you as much information as possible in our 30 minute coffee break. And we also want to open it up to have our audience be able to ask some questions of us. So with that, let's get started. Welcome, Dr. Koch. Thank you very much for having me today. Yes. So as I said, um, all of our viewers out there, we're going to have a list of questions that we'll be asking um, Dr. Coth, and I, I really want you to be active and I really want you to be engaged. And so we'll leave some time at the end to be able to have you ask those questions. But first, let me get through the preliminary questions of just asking Dr. Koth,
1: what is autism spectrum disorder? Okay. So it's a disorder that's defined in the Diagnostics and Statistical Manual, uh, which is put out by the American Psychiatric Association. So it's a list of five criteria, and each of those criteria have some breakdown. Um, but somebody needs to meet all five of those criteria to have autism spectrum disorder, according to the known as the DSM. So the first criteria A is persistent deficits in social communication and social interaction across multiple contexts. And those can be social emotional reciprocity, nonverbal communication and behaviors in social interacting and developing, maintaining and understanding relationships. Uh, Criteria B, is restrictive, repetitive patterns of behavior, interests, or activities. Um, and it has to have at least two of the following so stereotyped or repetitive motor movements, uses of objects, or speech, insistence on sameness, inflexible adherence to routines, or ritualized patterns of verbal or nonverbal behavior, highly restricted, fixed interests that are abnormal in intensity or hyper or hypo reactivity to sensory input or unusual interests. You also has to have these symptoms present in early in the developmental period. The symptoms have to cause clinically significant impairment in social occupation or other important functionings to meet the criteria of a disorder. And the disturbances can't be better explained by intellectual developmental disorder or intellectual disability. And that's the definition of autism spectrum disorder. So are people actually put on a spectrum
0: based on the severity of these five points? Yes,
1: actually further on in the criteria, it talks about different levels of severity and there are different specifiers you can add on to indicate uh, someone's uh, other issues with it, language, that kind of thing. So it's Mm -hmm. a very broad spectrum meeting these criteria.
0: So you talked about early detection, and I've heard that uh, from from different people talking, what I've read on Dr. Google, I've heard that autism can be hereditary. Some get it from environment. Can you share how someone develops autism?
1: Right. The biggest answer to that is we don't know. And it is probably multifactorial. So if it had been one thing, we would probably would have found that one thing by now. Um, it looks like about 40 to 80% of it have a genetic root. Um, that can mean it is passed down from parents. It can mean that is a um, something that happens in the formation of the chromosomes, in meiosis and the formation of an egg and a sperm and, and all of that beginning of stuff. It can also be, there's a huge field of epigenetics, which is how the environment interacts with our genes. And so there's a lot of that Plus, there's a lot of things that we've looked at that we correlate with autism, meaning we have found that these things kind of happen with autism, but we don't know about cause. Mm, That's a very important
0: distinction that you make. Um, Correlation, not causation. So uh, when you talk about environment, when we say environment, it could be pesticides, air pollution, medications. Can you share what types of medications, particularly when a woman is pregnant, that could affect or can cause autism?
1: So we don't have specifics on exactly. We do have some correlations with women who have taken particular medications and have children with autism spectrum disorder. The problem is that most of those things that are being treated, we actually don't have good data on what those things are treating and whether those untreated can cause autism spectrum disorder. For instance, we know that women who may take SSRIs for depression or anxiety have a higher risk of autism afterwards, but we actually don't have any data as to what depression or anxiety have to do with developing autism. So it's not a reason not to take those medications because we actually know that untreated depression and anxiety in pregnancy can lead to some very bad outcomes. Um, with pregnancy. So it's very, these are, these are correlations. These aren't causations, which is why there's no absolutes in this. And these have to be individual conversations with your doctors.
0: And that's exactly why I say this topic is very complex. At least we'll get as much accurate information as possible here um, from what the research shows to date, because I understand that this is constantly evolving. And so speaking of constantly evolving, you know, there seems to be a serious uptick in the number of individuals being diagnosed with autism. Like I was reading a center for disease control report, um, dated in 2021. And there was in 2021, there was, um, one in 54 children had been diagnosed with autism by age six. This was back in 2016. And as of 2000, it's one in 150. So that's a significant jump in a very short period of time. So in 2000, it was one in 150 people were diagnosed, but as of 2016, there were there were um, one in 54. And so I'm just wondering what is the cause, possible correlation, or why is why is there such an increase in the number of people being
1: tested for? or or resulting having autism it's a great question and the and the current data that came out from the cdc this year in 2023 is 1 in 36 wow um, and so that's 8 year olds now, what we're talking about is prevalence. So prevalence mm-hmm. is the number of cases being diagnosed that has increased drastically. There are a lot of good reasons why we're having an increased number of people being diagnosed. Um, it starts w- when we start collecting data from it. Um, many, many decades ago, mm-hmm. we have expanded the diagnosis to include a broader spectrum of people. So we're capturing more people. We are now screening for it. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends screening screening at 18 and 24 months for autism spectrum disorder, which that did not happen a couple of decades ago. People know what this is, right? People actually have heard of this. So people are looking for it. Whereas in the 1970s, we weren't. And so some of this is is an increase in prevalence. Now, incidence is the increase in actual numbers of people with autism and there's that has not been studied I want to be very clear that has not been studied it is um it is theorized that there actually hasn't been an increase in incidence that the increases in prevalence and that we're getting better at finding it because we have things we can do with it we can help people we can mold things we can we are looking for different things but the incidence has not been studied um and it is while some people have theorized incidence is increasing a little bit, others say it's not at all. We don't have good data on it.
0: Got it. Um, When I asked what is, how do you define autism spectrum disorder? um, In that definition, you also talked about early detection. And just a second ago, you mentioned um, diagnosing between the age of 18 18 to 24 months. How young can you learn if your child is possibly or, or will be diagnosed with autism?
1: That's a good question. So the screening, the recommended screening from the American Academy of Pediatrics is at 18 and 24 months. Um, the literature on when it can be diagnosed is a little mixed depending on where you are. 15 months seems to be a good um, spot that a lot of the literature um, can do on. There's some that says 18 months. In some very frank, cases, it could be as young as 12 months, although that's that's not as much. Some of the tests can go down to 12 months, but certainly in that range, we're looking probably in the 15 to 18 month range, it can be diagnosed. Now, with that being said, with all neurodevelopmental disabilities, one of the important things to remember is a lot of times we don't, um, see issues or they're not things are not picked up until um, demands exceed ability, which means until the environment, whatever those demands are, be it school, be it socialization, be it whatever, exceeds the ability of the child to meet those and then everybody starts picking up on things. And so obviously the more mild, somebody is the longer that can go before we start to pick up on those nuances um, and so that and that's true of all developmental disabilities including intellectual developmental disorder um and so it there isn't a time that it gets diagnosed it's when it's needed but we do need to be looking at, we first really look for every child at those 18 and 24 month visits hmm
0: that's important to note. So, how is autism
1: diagnosed? What is that process? So that's a really good question. Um, currently, you see a specialized tester usually to diagnose autism spectrum disorder. the The reason I am involved in advancing healthier Wisconsin uh, Endowment is actually um, to pilot um, a, uh, a a tool that we are bringing in from Vanderbilt and from Tennessee to see if we can help our pediatric primary care colleagues um, make the diagnosis of very obvious cases. Um, And so there are never gonna be enough specialized testers to meet the demand. Um, Obviously, as we've said, the prevalence has increased. The number of testers has not and will not likely. Um, And so we have a a bottleneck of people waiting to get testing and that that those wait lists are long. And so that was actually the point of this study that I'm involved in is to see if the very obvious cases that do not need um, extensive psychological testing can be Mm -hmm. diagnosed using some very specific tools um, by the pediatrician or the primary care um, provider.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, When was that study launched, and when will it conclude, and what are some of
1: your early findings? Um, The study was officially launched in 2021, um, and we have worked with um, several pediatric providers in the area, Um, and officially our grant concludes um, this next summer. Um, However, we are going to uh, ask to continue it. Um, beyond that. And and our initial finding is that um, the primary care pediatrician um, can feel very confident. We're talking cases where the primary care pediatrician or pediatric provider pretty much already kind of knows this and we're looking for the documentation and the testing to support it. So this we're not talking about cases where we're really unsure of what's going on, where we really need in-depth psychological testing. This does not replace that. This replaces the people sitting on the wait list where the psychological tester's not really gonna need to do much and everybody kind of already knows. Um, And just kind of reducing, um, one of the things we have to do in the mental health world is uh, very carefully think of our resources we never going to have we don't have enough resources so how can we make those resources most useful and we're seeing how this goes um, we are collecting data on comfort um, and we have not analyzed that data yet
0: I would love to see your report and have you back once you're once you have your conclusion of uh, of your pilot in in your sharing you mentioned barriers and bottleneck and before we turn to the audience I do want to better understand what are some of the barriers or reasons for bottleneck and
1: diagnosing children Um, well, you know, one of the things you blipped out, I'm sorry. I don't know if everybody else can hear Raina, but I can't. (laughs) Okay. I'm just going to talk while Raina does that and start to answer the question. (laughs) Oh, now you back.
0: Yes, I'm back. Okay. Um, in your study, you mentioned di- diagnoses of those who have autism. I'm wondering what are some of the barriers or bottlenecks for those who are, you're not sure if they're yeah. on the spectrum?
1: Um, well, first of all, is the wait list. The wait lists are long. There are not enough services. That is absolutely true. And that is, is a reality that um, you know a lot of people have tried to change, but it has not. Um, And so there are long wait lists Um, and all the things that make getting a child to an extra provider. So transportation, um, more time off from work for parents or guardians who are trying to get them for more testing, um, language barriers, just everything that we put in front of a family getting to a different office at a different time for a different test makes this even harder.
0: Mm-hmm. Well,, uh, dr. coth, we've we've really set the foundation for what is autism spectrum disorder, diagnosis, prevalence. Um, we have a very chatty group here, And within the next thirteen minutes, I'm going to try and get as to as many of your questions as possible. <clears throat> One of the questions from our audience, if you don't mind us just turning over here, is, One is, why is it harder to get girls diagnosed with being on the autism spectrum? Where is the best place to take a teenage girl you believe is on the
1: autism spectrum to be diagnosed? That's an excellent question with not a good answer. So I'm going to tell you what it is um, and not sugarcoat it. First of all, our diagnosis is very male dominated as is medicine. Okay. So this is a, this is not a problem just in mental health. This is a problem. And so we definitely, people are looking at the diagnosis and looking at the criteria as it may be, we may be missing the mark in females. Um, I hearken this back to it took a very long time for us to get heart attack symptoms for females that are different than males. Um, and so we're we're there and we're trying to work on that. Teenage diagnosis is very difficult, is very difficult in that there are less people who are doing that diagnosis, but it is mm-hmm. out there. Um, If you are in Wisconsin, or actually around the country, I really highly recommend you looking at the Autism Society. Most of our Autism Society groups, they're very regional groups, and they have a lot of resources and they know who in your area can do that. Um, If you happen to be here in Southeastern Wisconsin, the resource guide on the Autism Society website is fantastic, and you can just go on and it lists. It has a great amount of detail under each person testing, including what kinds of insurance, whether they speak Spanish, um, what ages they test, things like that. But your local resources are going to be fantastic in helping you find those those pieces. Mm -hmm. Are there enough? no.
0: Well, well Dr. coat that is an excellent resource. And we're putting it in the chat for our audience right now. It's Autism Speaks and Autism Society
1: of, is it Southeastern Wisconsin or Wisconsin? So there's autism societies throughout Wisconsin. There's different regions. So I know there's a central, they're, they're very active. Um, I am most familiar with Southeastern because that happens to be where I am clinically mm-hmm. practicing, but I have interactions with the other ones because my patients come from all over the state and actually a, couple, a few other states, um, and so um, just I know the local chapters tend to be very active and very helpful, um, so that can be a place that you can start and turn to.
0: Wonderful, so you can check our chat and you'll be able to see these resources for Autism Speaks and the Autism Society. The next question is what once was referred to as a learning disability seems to have been
1: rolled into autism spectrum disorder,
0: is this correct?
1: No, actually, it's not. Uh, there are still learning disorders, and the learn reading, writing, and math, mathematics are the three learning disorders. So, um, learning disorders are very different. They lack those those criteria that I talked about. So, someone can have a great deal of difficulty um, reading, for instance, and not have the socialization issues or the repetitive behaviors or some of those other criteria that we talk about.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, The next question is, since there's a lot of overlap in symptoms between ADHD and autism, what features do you use to tell if a person has one or the other or both?
1: It's a very good question. Um, ADHD is actually very, very different um, from a clinical standpoint in the hyperactivity, um, the inattention, and the impulsivity, right? Those are the three um, big criteria for ADHD. While people with ADHD may have difficulty with socialization because of the attention piece and the hyperactivity piece, they Mm -hmm. tend to not have those repetitive restrictive behaviors, the other criteria that we talked about. Um, And sometimes it takes, you know, especially when I personally clinically see people as an outpatient, sometimes it takes a while for me to get to know somebody to make sure that I'm looking for that. But again, a good psychological tester is looking for the differences between those two. Mm -hmm.
0: And it's ensuring that they have to meet all five points that you went over in the very beginning of the segment?
1: Yeah, for autism, you have to eat those criteria. The criteria for ADHD are are different. Um, And you can have both. Well, you can have one or the other.
0: Hmm. Do you find the diagnosis for autism have become more streamlined now?
1: Streamlined. Um, I mean, it depends on when we're talking about, um, I'm lucky to have done this for a couple of decades in a couple of different lives. Um, and so is there more testing now than there was in the early nineties? Yes. Um, but I I don't streamlined. I'm not sure. Depending on where you are, there are places in the country that are doing this very well, and it is much more streamlined. Um, so it kind of, that depends on where you are.
0: Mm -hmm. When you say different places, um, across the country are do you have some specific states in mind?
1: Just there are some health systems or some county systems where that is more, um, more, t- some some systems, the school does more psychological testing than private testing. It's it just, it's handled very differently in different places. Um, and so it, it it just, it's hard to speak to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, here, at least in my experience, you know, it's kind of, you've got to find the tester and and get on their wait list and, and that kind of thing. Um, so there's a lot more available than there was, but I think it's still very difficult for families, too difficult. Mm-hmm.
0: So speaking of families, these next two questions from our, from our audience are really around how can parents support their, their children? And so this one question has to do with the study that's supported by Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin. And the parent wants to know, how do you get involved with the study as a parent?
1: great question. It's actually not a parent study. I'm so sorry. It's a study enrolling pediatricians and or pediatric primary care providers to learn this tool. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate your want to get involved in research. um, And there are other ways to do so. This particularly was working with pediatricians and the pediatricians are enrolling um, and understand that um, pediatricians want to participate versus ability to participate also sometimes depends on their employer. Um, Mm. And so um, you know, pe- the pediatricians that we have are, are doing a wonderful job, but that's not available. The time we're asking is not available to everybody. Um, so that's great. If you are interested in research with autism, there are lots of times and lots of things that families can participate. Research.gov um, through the U.S. government always lists all the NIH Um, funded research projects that are happening across the country and Hulu are rolling. The other um, foundation that's doing a lot of research is the SPARC. Um, Simon's Foundation, they have a lot of research in autism, lots of other places where families who are very interested in research and we, we, we love that you're helping us advance You know what we know. Um, what we do know is from our families and from our individuals and that's the only way we can grow and continue. So thank you for that question.
0: Um, the, the second part to that question is is, are there ways to reduce the level of embarrassment or even shame with this diagnosis?
1: I think I think yes, and I think part of that is teaching everybody and informing everybody, um, yes. and and us helping, right? And 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 this is in my world as a child and adolescent psychiatrist, right? This is 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 stigma, right? We all have stigma right. around mental health issues. We have stigma around intellectual developmental disorder. We have stigma around autism. Um, the more people we um, educate about what it is. Um, mm-hmm. Be better that they can both treat the person in front of them and then everyone they meet afterwards. So I think us continuing to educate even one person at a time is one person more than new the day before. And mm-hmm. we just have to kind of build on that.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interest in your study, Dr. Code. Um, one of the audience members is asking where can they find more information about your study and keep in contact on your findings? And another piece is how do you find a list of which doctors are participating in your study?
1: So, um, due to IRB, which is um, the institutional stuff we have to do, I can't tell you who's participating or not because that has to be confidential. And then, the, you know, just the data that we're collecting from the pediatricians and the primary care providers has to be confidential. So we have to be able to do this in a very scientific manner. Um, and so I can't tell you, I'm very sorry, um, <laughs> but um, I'm glad you're interested in it and we are hoping to continue it um, and we're hoping to see what we can do after our funds end um, to continue on this this project of trying to get more services out into the community. Um, you know, this um, project too, I, I need to, if I can take two seconds, this is not me and my project. This is a group of people. So Dr. Amy Van Hecke in the Department of Psychology at Marquette, Dr. Amy uh, Leventhal, the Clinical Director of Next Steps Clinic, Nora John, Dr. Nora Johnson, who's the uh, with the College of Nursing at Marquette, Dr. Mary Clarkson, who's uh, at Marquette in the Department of Educational Policy and Leadership, and Leah Jepson with Mental Health America. This is a team effort. None of us are i'm i'm speaking today but all of these people could do the same job um and we'll continue to follow that um and so hopefully we'll get stuff out from it we're just not at that point yet
0: Mm -hmm. i I appreciate that the acknowledgement the edification the the shout outs we have two more questions do you think we can we can pull through here
1: oh i'm fine it's your the time
0: (laughs) awesome So, uh, you know, we talked a lot about early detection, Um, this one is more so for those who have been undiagnosed. So the question from our audience is what steps would be taken to assess an adult who may have undiagnosed autism spectrum disorder, so they can be directed to appropriate
1: resources to develop life and coping skills. An excellent question. So those um, those resources that you can find through a lot of the autism societies and things, when they have the te- list, testers listed, they'll list the age. Many of those people will see adults and complete the testing on those adults. So I think that's... Um, super important to find somebody. There are less people who test adults than children. So that is a harder thing to do and to find. Um, but there are things out there. I would look for a good testing psychologist, um, hmm. you know, who can do that.
0: What is like the title? If, if you're looking through the, the list of doctors and in your insurance, what kind of psychologist would that be?
1: It's going to be somebody who has special training um, and that's why I kind of I, I think you're going to have to put your, your insurance list up against the list from the Autism Society and kind of see who crosses um, with that um, or um, Autism Speaks or one of the other autism groups that list people in your area who test um, and kind of cross, cross-reference. Perfect.
0: Um, the last question is speech is becoming recognized as a motor planning disorder Many adults with autism are communicating fluently in another way than speech. Is this recognized yet in the medical community? If so, what type of testing or treatment is available for motor planning?
1: Um, motor plan. Okay, so I'm gonna. I'm not a speech pathologist. There's a mm-hmm. you know, speech pathologists are fantastic, and they are an important part of the group of people who work with individuals who have autism spectrum disorder. Um, and so, it speech. There is a motor planning portion of speech. There's also several other cognitive parts of speech that all have to come together. Speech is incredibly complex, neurologically, musculaturely, you know, in a lot of ways. So there's a lot of work that speech pathologists can do. There's also uh, an entire body of literature, which I am not going to pretend to be an expert on in the speech pathology world, in working with Um, the communication disorders of a lot of individuals, including those on the autism spectrum disorder. Um, My clinical specialty is actually usually working with people who are minimally or nonverbal. And so we are using a lot of other ways to communicate and working with their speech. And so communication is an important part with autism spectrum disorder. And that is a very, very broad. That's a whole nother lecture for another time, I'm afraid.
0: Yes. And well, with that, I want to thank you, Dr. Koth, for joining us today. We appreciate you for taking the time to talk about this very important topic. And as I said, folks, at the very beginning, this is a really dynamic, complex, broad topic. And for our coffee time, we just had to break it down into this big chunk. And hopefully, we'll have you back again to share more details about your study and the other parts of um, autism spectrum disorder. So, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you very much
0: and I see the chat still rattling on. So if we didn't get to your questions, I sincerely apologize. Feel free to send me a note at conversations at mcw.edu. I hope you all enjoy um, our Coffee Conversations with Scientists. You were fantastic. And remember in the chat, Dr. Koth, uh suggested two, two resources, Autism Speaks and Autism Society. There's an Autism Society of Southeastern Wisconsin, if you live here in the greater Milwaukee area, that we encourage you to check out. Tune in next time. See you soon.
1: The Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists is sponsored by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment. Coffee Conversations with Scientists occur monthly as Facebook Live events and are produced by the Medical College of Wisconsin. We hope you join us next month for another virtual coffee break and a conversation with a scientist.